Welcome to Leading Lights. You're about to hear a message from Lighthouse Church in Jersey. Um, we are in the middle of a series, probably getting towards the end of it now, um, called Our Direction. Our, de- you know, our Direction Towards Our Destination. How's that? <laughs> We're talking about our direction as well. Um, and I want to do a little bit of a recap this morning, if I can, just to catch you up if you haven't been able to be with us to this point. A couple of weeks ago, Greg spoke, and he talked about the importance of having vision. How many of you know that if you don't have vision from God for your life, you'll end up doing something, won't you? But it's probably not going to be nearly as good for you or as beneficial in any way as God's plan. And so uh, we kind of talked very generally about this idea of vision. We talked about what is a win going to look like for you in your life, in your job, in your marriage? What, a, what is a win going to look like for us as a church? Uh, we, we were trying to stir up this idea of vision. We need to be clear about it so that we can point at it so that we can achieve it. And then last week, Greg talked brilliantly about, essentially, about our motivation for wanting to do the will of God, for wanting to find his vision for our lives and for living it out. And Greg talks about the fact that our motivation is built on the fact that God loves people. He loves all people. Greg talks about the fact that eternity is an awfully long time. Amen? This life is so brief. You know, it's all we kind of know, but after this comes the real deal. And it's important for us to keep our eye on the big picture. And the last point that Greg made in terms of our motivation about why do we give ourselves to serving the vision of God in our lives and in the life of our church is because God saved us. And we are eternally grateful. Our motivation flows out of this awareness that without God we would be and have nothing, that our future would be incredibly bleak, and that undeservedly Jesus died for us and saved us and offered us the gift of life and the opportunity to be counted as his children. I don't know about you, if that doesn't warm you in any way every morning that you wake up, I want to encourage you to reflect on that every single day. You are blessed. Amen. But there's a whole world out there that doesn't know. And so that is a motivating force for us when it comes to our vision. We don't live for ourselves. It's not about me. It's not about me. It's about the world that Jesus died for. So today I want to try and build on that thought a little bit and I want to talk about the power of teamwork. The power of team is kind of the title of my talk and I want us to reflect on how we together can pull with one vision towards the thing that God has for us. You know, uh, we want kind of his yoke to rest on all of us so that we can pull together with him. And it all, it all kind of stems from this idea that from the beginning of time, God has always wanted to be identified with his people. God has always wanted to live among his people. He's wanted his people to say, this is our God. For this kind of relationship to take place, 
There are some significant things that I want to show you through the Bible. You can see this point illustrated of how God has done everything he can to be with us. All right, so very quickly, we're going to, I'm not going to take you to the scripture, but I'm going to refer back. You all know, if we go back to the Garden of Eden, what, is the, what does the Bible tell us? That after God made Adam and Eve, it says that he used to walk with them in the cool of day. That just blows my brain. Because later on in the Old Testament, it was impossible for people to look upon God without being consumed. But in the cool of the day, God would walk in the garden with Adam and Eve because he wanted to be with his creation. The fall happened and that relationship got broken and damaged. But if we skip forward, we find a time in the Bible in, um, where are we going to go? In, in Exodus chapter 25, when God says to Moses, I want to come and live amongst my people again. And he calls Moses to lead the Israelites to build what's called the tabernacle which was like a temporary but hugely ornate and magnificent tent. Wherever the Israelites would go, they would set up the tabernacle as God had orchestrated it, and he would come by, his very presence would come and rest over the Ark of the Covenant in the holiest of holies. And he would be amongst his people. And you know the story about how the Israelites traveled. Eventually they reached the promised land. And many years later, God calls David. And he gives David this vision, this very clear idea. He communicates with David this clear idea of a permanent home. Where he can live amongst his people, God that is. And that was called the temple. And God lived with his people in the temple. Fast forward now, many, many years to the New Testament, Jesus comes, God in the flesh, onto terra firma, moves into our neighborhood and walks and talks with us. Can you see the picture again? God wants to be with his people. He doesn't want to be far away. He wants to be with us and he illustrates it time and time again. Jesus died on the cross, a horrible, horrible death so that legally, in terms of God's law, he could pave the way for us to be in relationship with him again. Just like in the Garden of Eden, Eden Adam and Eve were. Right? Now, when Jesus ascended and left the earth to heaven, what happened? Pentecost, he sent his spirit to be with us, to live in us. The Bible says that your body now is a temple of the Holy Spirit. That ornate structure in the Old Testament, and I'll give you some more info, it was a staggeringly awesome st uh, structure. Now, Christ has moved into your life as a Christian. He's swept you clean, and by His Spirit, He lives in you. You are now the temple of the Holy Spirit. So as believers, we have God living in us, but it's reflected in our community through local families, local churches. I want, you to see, I want you to see this picture now. God lives in believers, but he calls us to be together. Amen? And as a family unit, we live in the community, and our goal is to reflect 
to talk about, to minister to the community around us so that God can live in the hearts of all men and women. That's the big picture. God's goal has been to live with us and be with us. He's made a way for us to be with him again. And now, in the New Testament, when the Holy Spirit fell and thousands got saved, they were added to what became known as the church. And that church became bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger, and it became families all over the world today. We are the body of Christ, but God works through local church. Amen. So we're talking about local church today. I've brought us all the way back to this point again to discover what God's calling us to as Lighthouse Church, meeting every Sunday in St. James's church building, which is run by the youth kind of of the government. Okay? What is God calling us to as a people? Not this building, but us as a people. Greg talked last week when he talked about uh, the lighthouse. Uh, at the top of that page, you remember it said, for God, for each other, and for the world that Jesus loves, the lost. Those are three very summarized ideas of the three core parts of our vision. We are for God, all of us. We are for each other, but together we're for the world. Amen. Amen. So, I want to talk today about how God establishes his presence through us in the community. And I want to talk about what it looks like in the local church. And I've decided to use the word team, uh, because team is significant. Uh, T-E-A-N-M, I'll talk about that shortly. How many of you have been watching the football? I know not everyone's a football fan, but at times like this, the nominals get caught up as well. So you can just put up your hand. It doesn't mean you're a football fan for life. Okay. It is a thing that's going on. For some people, it's everything. For other people, it's like, who cares? But the point that I want to make, if you look at, let's talk about a Premier League football team. We gather together as people around TVs, or we go and watch the games, and we are spectating of 11 people on a side on the pitch. Amen. And... What I want to illustrate here is that we can become really guilty of thinking that they're the only people who are on the team. Amen. Uh, we can spend a lot of time on people like Jamie Vardy and Wayne Rooney, and we can pour all of our attention upon them as superstars, okay? But one player doesn't make a team, nor do 11 players. And I want to illustrate for you today just how complicated the setup is to enable those 11 people to run around on the pitch playing for their side. So I did a little bit of a look on the computer yesterday, and I won't say which team I, I picked. But for argument's sake, every Premier League team has a first team squad. They're the squad of which the people that play every Sunday or whenever you watch come out of. And you watch 11 people at any one time. But that squad is in excess of 40 plus people. Lots of goalkeepers, lots of defenders, lots of midfielders, lots of forwards. And a number of people who are in the squad who, but who are on loan to other teams. Okay? So just keep that in your mind, 40 people. Then most of these professional teams have what's called an academy. It's like a farm for growing up great footballers. Where the kids progress through all the age groups. They have an academy squad of around 40-ish people as well, okay? 
So that's about 80 to 90 people. Then you have what's called first team staff. These are the people who are employed to run the teams. So obviously you hear a lot about the who, the manager, and if it all goes wrong, he gets fired. Okay, shame. He's the guy who carries the weight of responsibility of overseeing the whole footballing structure at a club and being a part of that process. But under him, just, I know this is boring some of you, but I want to just illustrate a point. You have an assistant manager, you have like two first team coaches, you have a goalkeeping coach, you have a head of performance, uh, you have a fitness coach, you have an assistant fitness coach, you have a head of medical services, you have a club doctor, you have two first team physios, you have three masseurs, you have a kit manager. You have someone who manages the kit. And he has an assistant, because it's such a big job. You have an equipment manager, you have a performance nutritionist, and you even have football analysts, whose sole job is to look at how the other teams play, their strategies, etc. Can you begin to see, it's not just 11 people running on a pitch, alright? Then you have the academy staff as well. And many of them are the same, but in that group you have people who are scouts, who are constantly looking for new footballing talent. You have sports scientists. I mean, you name it. I counted it all up, and there were probably 100 plus, at least, people who are employed by a football club so that you can see 11 run around every week and get excited. I want you to understand today the power of team. I want you to apply this idea to the local church. Now we don't build ourselves around a football team structure, but there are amazing structures in place that are helpful for us. And I want you to be really aware of the fact that it's not one or two people on a Sunday that make the church work. It's the whole team. It's the whole team. I want you to look around you right now. Look around at the people to your side. Look at the people behind you. I know some people are visiting here, but most of us are regulars. I want to tell you, you're the team. Say it, I'm the team. Say it again. You may come from a church background where you've not really heard this spoken about a lot. But I want to tell you, this is the reality of how we do church here. We believe it's a God-instituted reality. It's not about paying one professional to run himself half to death while we all cheer in the stands. That's how people get burnt out and disillusioned and fall away from the Lord even. God has gathered us together as the team. And if you consider this to be your home, church, you're on the team. Yeah. Say it nice and loud, please, with some gusto. I'm on the team. I'm on, I'm the, on team. the team. Okay. Some of you. Thank you. <laughs> um, unfortunately, I can't read a passage of Scripture regarding to the building of the tabernacle or the temple. I want to refer to them today. But I want to encourage you to take the time to go and read Exodus chapter 25. Beginning from there, you will read chapters following about how the tabernacle came to be. The process of how it came to be. I'm going to summarize that for you just now, but I want you to read it so you can see what I'm telling you is not the Gospel of James, this James. 
Okay? The building of the temple. Uh, God appeared and spoke to David and told David, I want your son Solomon to build the temple. But he gave the picture and the start of the process to David. And you can read about that in First Chronicles from chapter 28 and chapter 29. I'm going to just refer briefly to them, but I want you to go and read about them. So I'm talking in terms of the tabernacle and the temple. I'm talking about the temporary home that they built for God and then the physical structure that they built for God in the Old Testament. And I want to just try and illustrate something for you today. We're going to use the word team. Everyone say team. team. What's the first letter? T. T. You guys are clever. Eh? So T, what does T stand for? That stands for top down. Everyone say top down. Top down. Awesome. So when it came to the tabernacle, who did God speak to? Moses. <laughs> God spoke to Moses. He didn't appear to a big group of people and say, hey guys, come, I've got a good idea. Let me chat with you. He spoke to Moses and he said very specifically to Moses what he wanted for the people to do. And it was Moses' job to take that blueprint down the mountain to the people and say, this is what God has told me, this is what we're going to do. In, uh, when it came to the temple, God spoke to David. You can read that, and I want you to just see the huge detail that God took the time to impart to Moses and to David regarding these structures. God spoke to an individual who was the leader of the nation, of the people, and said, this is what I want you guys to do. So everyone say, top down. Okay. We live in a society called democracy that we love, which works in many ways, but doesn't work well in the church necessarily. God chooses leaders and he communicates vision to leaders, and they impart it. That's kind of where we come from in this church. Okay, uh, the second word, or the second letter is E. And E stands for equip and empower. Can you say that with me? Equip and empower. That's just to help you remember. All right, thank you. He equips, God equips and empowers his people. So firstly, God speaks to the top, because it's God's house, and he's very specific about what he wants. Then to make it happen, God equips the people, and he empowers the people with his heavenly resources and power and strength. Now, we see that in the Old Testament, when the Holy Spirit came down on particular people, it was for a particular time, on particular people, for particular situations, and then the Holy Spirit would lift off of them afterwards. Now we live in the New Testament, we're a continuation of the book of Acts where the Bible says the Holy Spirit lives with us and he's with us always. But the point is always the same. It's the Spirit of God who equips us and empowers us to do the things that he's calling us to. We're not on our own. We don't have to run around with our own ideas and our own wisdom. God enables us. And so there are certain ways that he does this. And this applies to everybody. All of us have talents. All of us have skills. Amen? The talents that you grew up with in your life, you may think that they were just haphazard, but God put them there. He gave you physical abilities and talents and skills for a reason. That's awesome. You are how you are because that's how God wanted you to be. And it's part of what makes you unique and awesome in the family of God. You have talents 
and skills, every one of you. Every one of you has time and energy. Amen? That's another part of the mix. God gives us time and he gives us energy. Some of us feel like we've got a little bit less energy than others, but we still have some. Okay? Time and energy. We all have wisdom and experience. Some of us more than others. A lot of that has to do with age and what we've been through. Some of us are seriously mature before our years, but the point is the same. In our living on this earth, we learn things about life. And as we live on this earth according to the economy of God, we learn things about how God works and we get his wisdom. Amen. These are all components that help us to live out the vision that God has for us. All right? And the last thing, the really cool thing about what God does in us and gives us is spiritual gifts. I'm not talking about natural talents that we have, like the ability to play sports or to play an instrument or sing or artistic or whatever it may be with computers. I'm talking about a Holy Spirit-given ability, at least one gift that God puts into every believer that is fueled and empowered by the very power of God. Now, if you're here today as a Christian and you don't know what your spiritual gifts are, man, you have got some exciting things lying ahead of you. Please find out what they are. If you don't know how to do that, speak to me or Greg or one of the leaders and we'll help you. If you don't know what your spiritual gift is, it's like having one hand tied behind your back. It's trying to go through life with one hand and one leg. Okay, God is empowering you with his spirit and with gifts. And we need those gifts operating in the church for us to minister to one another because that's what they're for, to uplift and encourage one another and to be effective when we go out into the world and share the gospel. To be able to perform miracles when we're out there, praying for people on the street and seeing them healed. That's not a physical ability. That's the Spirit of God. We love the Holy Spirit. We are all for the Holy Spirit. We believe that we're nothing without His power and that He's given us gifts. And we all need to discover our gifts and put them into practice within the body. Now that can happen in a limited capacity here on a Sunday, but it happens more in small groups, in life groups. We keep going on about life groups because they are the life and soul of the church. That's where our power, the Holy Spirit power, moves through us. So, we've talked about T stands for top-down, E stands for equip and empowers people, A stands for agreement. Did you know that agreement is a massive component to teamwork? If you have 11 individuals playing their own game on a field, it's complete disaster. You know, you have the coach who decides a strategy, he decides the team, he decides who's playing what position. Sometimes he repositions people into unnatural positions, but he has a strategy and a goal and, and a way of playing that game that everybody needs to understand so that they can play together. And they have to say, I agree. Otherwise it doesn't work. Amen? Agreement is massive. You know, when it came to building the temple, I just want you to understand that David gathered together, now we're talking about the permanent structure, 70,000 people just to carry stuff, the heavy stuff, 
right? Then he gathered another 80,000 people to cut stone. He gathered 3,600 foremen to organize all of these people. It was massive. And they had to work together. But there were layers and structures that helped it to be successful. Amen. That's not all the people that were involved. There were far more. But I want you to understand the scale. You know, we have to work together. We have to come with joyful and willing hearts and lock arms together to see this thing done. Amen. We're not going to reach our community if it's down to a few good-hearted people who are busting a gut and then a few who are just having a lovely time from the stands. I believe God's calling us all out of the stands onto the pitch. You know? And sometimes it's a bit of a process of coming a row closer each time. You know? But eventually you're going to get to the front row, like we do on... It's always the front row at church that's empty. There's nowhere else to go when you're on the front row. You're in the dugout, then you're on the pitch. And that's the idea. There's no spectators in God's economy. Okay, top down, God equips and empowers people. He gives us the ability to come into agreement. And there's, there's, a, um, there's a multiplication of power that comes together when we agree. You know, in the Bible it talks about how one puts a thousand to flight, but two put ten thousand to flight. It doesn't add up if you think of the maths, but in the spirit there's an economy going on where the spirit of God comes in great power. Amen. My last point that I want to make this morning <clears throat> is to do with the word or the letter M, and that stands for more than enough. Can you say that with me? More than enough. Now, when you look at these stories about the building of the tabernacle and the temple, uh, in, with the tabernacle, God calls Moses to tell the people to bring an offering. Okay? All the people of God, and he said, and I want you to hear this very clearly today, those whose hearts are moved to give. Even in the Old Testament, you know we talk about the tithe, 10% belongs to God. It all belongs to God. And he calls us in this day to allow our hearts to be open for him to move upon them and to prompt us. Even in the Old Testament, he said to Moses, those whose hearts are moved to give, let them bring. And he listed a bunch of stuff that was going to be needed for the building of the tabernacle. I want you to read the story and see. It says that morning after morning after morning, the people came with their offerings for the building of the house of the Lord. Until eventually the guys who were like doing the building and overseeing it came to Moses and said, Moses, you need to tell him to stop. We've got enough. We don't need any more. I want to tell you today, the resources of heaven are in your hands. There's not a heavenly bank account where we put a spiritual debit card into a machine and we withdraw heavenly money it's physical money. You know, the Bible says that money is neutral. He says it's the love of money that's the root of all evil. And what I get from that is that we can use money for good and we can use money for bad. At the end of the day, it's not the money's fault, it's the spender. That tells me that it's our responsibility to be wise with how we handle our money and our resources. Amen. I want to tell you, this is the fact. Everything that we need to build the church 
and to see the vision that God has established here, all that money is in our hands. Every resource is in our hands. If you look at the temple in the Old Testament too, David the king at this stage was incredibly wealthy um, personally and the nation of Israel was incredibly wealthy. And he, it talks about how he took a massive amount of money, which was kind of like government money, I suppose, in those days. And he set it aside. And then he took his own personal money. Massive, he had massive wealth as the king. And he set it aside. And then all the different leaders through the government, or whatever it was that was established at that time, gave. And it came all the way down to the leaders of families who gave on behalf of their families. And they were filled with joy to be able to do it, if you read it. They acknowledged, David acknowledged, Lord, this is so amazing, but I, I don't want to be a fool and think that this is anything that I've done. All of this that we've been able to do, all of this that we've been able to gather, all of this that we've been able to build, it comes from you. You're the good one. You're the source, and you're the provider. And so, when it comes to seeing vision worked out in our church, this is what we believe. It comes from the top down. God's giving us vision as leadership. He equips us as leaders. He equips you as people with gifts and talents and abilities and wisdom and experience, spiritual gifts. We are called into agreement together. We're either going to pull together or we're not. And we're really interested in the people who want to pull together because we've got some stuff to do for the Lord. Amen. And I just want to say that there is a cost involved. There's a cost on our time. There's a cost on our energy. There's a cost on uh, many layers, okay? But that also applies to a financial cost. Now, we're not talking about a financial uh, appeal today, but there is always a financial cost. And we want you to bear that in mind continually as you pray. And if God prompts you to give, then give. Uh, what we see as a culture is that people often wait until someone says, hey, we've got this thing that we need, and then we give. But we would love it as leaders if you could listen to God and let him tell you. We don't want to twist your hand. We don't want to cause you to feel like we're putting our hands in your pockets. That's not how we believe God works. Let him move your heart. Amen. Thanks for listening. Please visit leadinglightsnetwork.com for more resources and subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. Please consider supporting this ministry financially by making a donation on the giving page of leadinglightsnetwork.com or lighthousejersey.com.